Well, hopefully you made your way to Luke chapter 26 is where you find ourselves this morning. And um, sorry, 23, verse 26. Thank you. I appreciate that. I get my numbers jumbled up in my head sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Luke chapter 23, and we, we made it down through verse 25 last time. And so we'll pick it up right about there. And so let's go before the Lord and we'll, we'll start there. And so, Father, now as we come before you, Lord, we... Uh, we thank you for your goodness and for your love, Lord. And um, we do pray for those that are, uh, um, I know uh, some have been exposed to COVID at work, Lord, and can't make it. And I know even though we got a notification from Ethan Anastasia's school that they're just going to go to remote learning all this week uh, because of uh, too many exposures to COVID and, and uh, just begins to start to decimate the teachers in the class, just uh, even if it's just quarantine, Lord. So we just uh, pray for all those that are going through this in the second or third round or fourth round. I don't even know what round it is, Lord. But, um, you know, we just pray you keep, especially, uh, you know, the older um, people in our fellowship, Lord, safe and healthy, Lord, as well. And, uh, Lord, we do ask that you would just... Uh, I guess, minister to us during this time, Lord, where we just uh, come into your word, Lord. And I know it's a very familiar story for most of us, and, and we hear about it uh, at least once a year during, you know, Good Friday and resurrection services, Lord. And then, uh, you know, we're always talking about your death, burial, and resurrection throughout the year and, and almost really, and every time we meet at some point in some way, Lord, because it is the center of our faith. And Lord, but as we look into it now, I pray that we'd always just have that, that fresh eyes and ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to speak to us today, Father, because you always want to make application for where we are, Lord. And I thank you for it. That's because your word is alive and living, and uh, it's not written for people a long time ago. It's written for us today. And uh, so I, I pray that you would just do that great work by your spirit, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, Luke chapter 23, verse 25. That's where we left off last time. And, and just so you, we were all caught up, it says, And he released them to the one they requested, which was Barabbas, remember, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So we left off as now finally, you know, they got their will to have Jesus put to death and Barabbas to, to be set free. And again, that was a very black and white thing. Barabbas was a murderer, an insurrectionist. <coughs> Jesus, obviously, the sinless, perfect Son of God. Who did the people choose? Barabbas, right? Who do they want out? Barabbas. And, uh, of course, put up by the jealousy of the religious leaders, and we talked about that last time. And so now he's condemned to death, a Roman death through Pilate here. And then verse 26 tells us, Now as they led him away, they lay hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So uh, again, uh, Luke just gives us certain details uh, that are relevant to what the Lord has him sharing with us. And we know that, um, that Jesus was led along with two other criminals through the city. 
Now, we like, uh, we call it the, the way of the cross, the Via Della Rosa, right? Today, they, they still do that. He's, he's uh, led with these two other criminals, and they're, they're paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. So in other words, they don't, um, they usually go from the Antonio Fortress, and then they kind of make their way, and they'll go through the city, and then outside the city to Galgotha or, you know, Calvary. It's the place of the skull up there. It's actually the highest place point in in Jerusalem. It's the top of that hill. It's even higher than Jerusalem. It's right outside the city and uh, to the north. And they would do that for a reason. Now that they have an paradigm is because Rome, they don't want insurrection. They don't want people breaking their laws. They don't, they want people to see how if you go against us, this is what's going to happen to you. So they wanted to make a spectacle of them. And Rome's reason was because they just didn't want those guys ever to to, you know, to, to break the law. And so if you were breaking the law bad enough where it was a capital punishment or you'd be put to death, they wanted people to be too afraid to do that. And, you know, people that say that capital punishment is not a deterrent for, a deterrent for crime, well, I'm <laughs> probably big to differ with you. I think every, uh, every uh, society has seen that it is a deterrent to a certain degree. But anyway, so... They're parading him through the streets. Now, again, traditionally, you know, um, we, we think of Jesus. I put this picture up there just to give us some sense. Traditionally, that's what people kind of think. Um, remember Arthur, Arthur Blessed? I don't know if you go back some of those days. He used to carry the cross around. He's more in Southern California, so he, was, he would tour all over the world, but he would carry this cross everywhere he went to his, his uh, meetings, and he'd carry this big old cross, and it have this... Uh, it would just be this big cross, and he'd carry it. Had a little wheel on the back. I always remember it. Yeah, he had a little wheel on the back because it was a big cross. And anyway, but he carried it around. I, I, I don't know. That was uh, I remember him from the '80s. So, but anyway, um, you know, this is typically what we picture: that Jesus is carrying this cross, and he's carrying it through here. But generally speaking, they just really carried the cross piece. They, they, they crucified. A, a number of people and did it for many years. So typically the vertical pole would be already in the ground. Uh, and, and all they would have to do is, is you know, fix the cross piece to the prisoner and then lift them up and affix that to the, to the pole that was already there. So generally speaking, those poles are already there. Now, it, was it 100% of the time? Uh, uh, you know, I couldn't say, but, but typically that cross piece is what they would carry. Uh, for most of the crucifixions, uh, they would have the other ones, uh, uh, you know, they wouldn't pull them out every time and put them back. As a matter of fact, they would like those poles left up there as a reminder that if you break the law and it's worthy of death, this is the, the horrible suffering, you're going to die. So, you know, they, they would leave even bodies up there for, for days and, uh, you know, let wherever they would crucify people until they rot. So people would have that kind of warning there. But Again, you know, uh, you know, Jesus is forced to carry, whether it was the whole cross or just the cross beam, he was forced to carry this piece, and it was just, you know, too much. If this gives you a picture, these pictures are a little bit off in a lot of, some of them are off in a lot of ways, some of them are off in a little ways, but if this gives you a sense when I put these pictures up, it was just too much for Jesus to carry. That's what we're told right here. This cross piece was was heavy. He had been beaten a number of times now, and finally we know Pilate, before he was released to be, or before he was sentenced to be crucified, they would flog them. And that's typically what they did of every prisoner, which flogging would 
would beat you to a, a, an inch of your life. And a lot of people didn't survive even, even the flogging. They would, it depends how the flogging went, if they would bleed out before they even got to um, the, the crucifixion. But either way, they would be severely weakened. Um, and so Jesus had been beaten many times by this point, and he had been flogged. So he is literally uh, falls down uh, under the weight of this, uh, this cross. And it seems like he collapsed right in front of this man named Simon. Right, it tells us here, uh, a Cyrenian who would be um, modern-day Libya. So that gives you an idea. Libya is still in the news with all their civil wars and stuff, but uh, by 800 or so miles away. And um, so you know, they they tap him on the shoulder and say, "Okay, Jesus can't carry it. You're going to carry this this cross piece for him." Um, uh, uh, and again. This, this kind of maybe brings to mind this verse in, in Roman, I'm sorry, in Matthew 5:41. Remember during the Beatitudes, Jesus would teach this is if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. That's because a Roman soldier could, could uh, force anybody. Uh, one of the Roman laws was if, if they needed help carrying something or to carry something, they could tap somebody and say, "You're, you're going to help me." And the law required that you help them for one mile. And then Jesus, when he said that if someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles, you know, showing that you're a Christian, showing your love, uh, that's, what he, that's what he meant by that, right? Because that's what the Roman law uh, said in that day. And that's what's going on with this Simon as well. He's being tapped into service. No, you're going to carry this up to the top of the hill for Jesus because he can't. Now, he's being pressed into service. Now, how do we know this guy's name? And I believe this, he's named here for a reason. And, uh, and it's because I, after seeing this and being part of this, now remember, he has just come to Jerusalem uh, uh, for Passover, probably. Everybody had been there for Passover. He was from uh, Libya. Uh, so uh, again, he, was, he probably wasn't a Jew. He probably, you know, just a, a convert. And he came up to Jerusalem to worship. Um, Again, we don't know for sure, but his, his name uh, would kind of indicate that to be the case. And so he, uh, he comes up and, uh, you know, Jesus happens to be right in front of him. And we know that eventually his sons, and I believe he became a believer through seeing all this and being a witness to this. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us uh, in the same similar gospel passage, that said a certain man from Cyrene Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. So we find out here that we know his name is Simon uh, because uh, I believe he eventually became this believer, and he had two boys, and Alexander are, and Rufus are, uh, are talked about in the book of Acts. So they were used uh, by the Lord in the, in the book of Acts, and then Paul actually mentions them in one of, his, one, of the sons, uh, one of the sons in another letter as well. So again, I, I think this is you know, God's perfect plan. We see that even through the, the most horrific time, you know, this guy is just seemingly casually coming up from another country just to worship the Lord, and yet you know, even on this very last hours of a life of Jesus, you know, the Lord's putting this two together to, to, you know, bring this man to faith and then obviously being passed along and spread 
to his children and them being used in the early church. And so uh, just seeing how the Lord works and bringing those situations, you know, sometimes we wonder and ask ourselves, well, how did I get over here? Or why am I doing this? Or, you know, how did I get, you know, stuck here? Or how did I get, you know, standing in line? And, and sometimes it's just that, you know, you can, you know, the Lord's going to use you to witness to a person or do something in some way or bring something your way. And, you know, we get frustrated by different things and we think, you know, I'm sure Simon's like, great, you know, I'm coming here to worship. Now I'm stuck behind this procession of death here. And then he falls in front of me and great, now I got to carry this, you know, could anything go worse today? But the reality was that would be the best day, you know, of his life when he comes to know Jesus. And so sometimes we get frustrated because we don't see all the Lord moving in all these seemingly insignificant and seemingly uh, unknowing ways. And I believe the Lord just works in so many unknown ways in our lives. But when we get to heaven, if we, if some of those are revealed to us, we'll see that I just believe, you know, hundreds of times during the day, each day, the Lord is just moving pieces and doing things in our lives that we're just so unaware of. And he works uh, supernaturally, naturally, so much of the time, we'd say. And that's certainly the case here uh, for this Simon. Well, so he picks up the cross, and then, uh, you know, they're marching to the street. This is just a modern-day shot of people still do this way of the cross, the Via Della Rosa. You can walk it every uh, Good Friday, and just gives you some sense of what maybe the streets look like at that point in time. Um, and so this great multitude, verse 27 says, of people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will be, they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and on the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the green wood, in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? So as Jesus is being paraded through the streets, you know, there is women that have touched, you know, been touched by Jesus somehow in their lives. And, you know, uh, again, um, they, they see Jesus being paraded and coming through, you know, Jerusalem. And they're literally crying. And Jesus, you know, as he's passing by, addresses these women. Now, I, I just want to point this out because, you know, we'll see this as we go into the next chapter and finish up Luke and, you know, talk about his resurrection and his interaction. But... Again, that was unusual for in the day. You know, particularly a, a pious religious Jewish man would generally not, would not just not talk to women other than his wife or his daughter, right? Or maybe his sister or something. They, they had a whole different view of women in that day, which, um, and, they, and women just were uh, degraded. They weren't considered as important in that day, in that society. In fact, in most societies, if not almost all societies of that day, um, that was very true. And it, it is 
a lot hasn't changed. There's many societies today where, where women are degraded or they're considered, you know, at least second-class citizens. They're not considered as important as men. And there's, there's cultures around this world where that is still prevalent. And you know which ones I'm speaking of. And, and uh, you know, women are traded like stocks, you know, and... and in, in, in a lot of countries, and even in more non-third world countries, you know, you, you, st you still go to, you know, the Far East, and there's a lot of countries, you know, uh, you know where they'll, the women will walk behind the men, the, they, they, they serve on them hand and foot, and I remember going to Japan for the first time, and going to a traditional Japanese restaurant, the place that was doing work for us, invited us to this place, and they would be in their kimonos, and they would kneel every time they came into the, uh, um, uh, what's it? I can't think of the name of the room where they have tatami mats. And Anyway, it's a special room. But, you know, they would literally put the tray down. They would get down on their knees. They would put the tray in, and then they would open the door. They would get down there, come in and get on their knees and then pick it up. I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. And even around here, you know, you see people sometimes people from other parts of Asia where the women will walk behind them. I mean, it's, you can see them walking down Ohlone Parkway and, you know, in different neighborhoods. Um, so it's still going on today. That's my point of all this. But what I want to speak to is how unusual it was that Jesus would ad address them. And uh, that wasn't Jesus. He spoke to women. Um, again, he loved them. He helped them. Uh, and they were a big part of his ministry, which was completely out of the norm, again, for, for most men in Jewish society, and particularly religious men or rabbis. That, that just wouldn't even happen. And it's not with Jesus. As a matter of fact, women are always spoken about in all the Gospels uh, in a positive light. They really are. You don't, you don't read any story where uh, they're just put down in sense that, you know, like some of the evil the men are, you know, spoken of, of snakes and vipers and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they're, they're just spoken well of, and they're spoken of how a blessing and how an integral part of they were of the ministry of Jesus. And uh, so I say all this to remind us who are, what seems like maybe an insignificant passage, again, just reminds us how significant it is because people today don't understand Jesus and they don't understand Christianity and they'll say Christianity is oppressive to women and when we hear that we just realize that they don't know Jesus. They don't. Now has the church done dumb stuff? Absolutely. No question about it. But the church doesn't isn't always represented in Jesus, okay? Uh, but Jesus and again, you know, you can find fault with people in any level, at any time, and anywhere, but you can't find fault with him. And that's what we need to tell people, because when they say, you know, in some ways, bigoted, this, that, it's just, they just don't know our Lord. And we can see it here, even on what it would be, you know, a, a complete understatement, your worst day and the worst time of your life, right? But he, he is still responding to, to them, okay? And uh, people say anything about, about Jesus and putting down women or being putting down people, obviously, uh, they just don't know him. And Jesus 
tells these gals, and really a warning to everybody that would read the Gospels, that one day soon, this is nothing. What's happening to me is going to be how bad to how it's going to be one day when Rome, and not too many years in the future, is going to come and circle the city and is going to crush it, where you're not going to have food and water and, you know, there's these bands of thieves stealing everything and cannibalism is going to take place. It's hor horrible and horrific. He said that was going to come one day and it's going to be worse than what's happening here and right now. And, uh, you know, again, um, everything that you see and all these things, even as he told the disciples earlier, uh, as he was talking about, it's all going to be wiped out. Uh, Jesus said, if they're doing this, while the tree is green, in other words, why I'm here, how much worse is it going to be when I'm gone, right? And, and that, that's what he meant by that last verse in, in verse 43. I'm um, sorry, not verse, um, wherever that was, sorry, 31. He said, uh, you, you know, how much worse it's going to be in that day. And that's true, you know, that's, that's very true. They would just go off the rails and eventually Rome would come and crush Israel, and they would rebel a little bit more, and, and then by the first, beginning of the first century, they, uh, the second century, I should say, you know, they wouldn't even let two Jews talk together. That's how, how bad it, it got for them. And so, again, here Jesus is just speaking to them and telling them, uh, you know, uh, if they're willing to do this when I'm here, it's, it, it's going to be so much worse when I'm gone. So, He's coming down. He's being paraded through the stoop. Simon's carrying this cross. There's two other criminals going along with them. And uh, now we'll get back to them here, verse 32, or get to them, I should say. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Now again, Jesus is being crucified next to two criminals, which we all know. And again, this is something that we usually go over at least a few times a year, if not more. And I just want to put up Isaiah 53.10 that talks about um, about this section, you know, fulfilling this prophecy that Isaiah said. And there's much to be read in this whole area of Isaiah, but I'll put this up. It says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, or criminals, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so again, uh, this portion of, of Isaiah, which all talks about this whole crucifixion and the death of the Messiah, this whole section of Isaiah there, uh, talks about being um, put to death with criminals. And that's exactly what's going on here. And so uh, we'll, we'll get back to these guys in a bit because you... Most of you know the rest of the story, and we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit. So he's, he's up on the cross now. Um, he's been put up. And again, the other gospel will give us other details. He's up on the cross now. The other criminals are up there on either side of him. 
And then Jesus says in verse 34, Father, forgive them for what uh, they, they do not know what to do. And uh, again, um, there was actually seven things, and here's a little chart of that, that Jesus said on the cross. Uh, Luke uh, just records um, for us uh, this, um, a couple of them. But there are other statements here, and you can kind of read this. I kind of like the layout of this you know, screen from 9 a.m. to noon, and then from noon to 3 p.m. were the last four sayings. And so uh, G, uh, Luke only tells us two of them, but the one thing that he focuses on here is the words of Jesus at this very point, after he's been beaten, after all this has gone on, he said a number of other things, uh, up to this point uh, on the crosses that listed there. But notice love and forgiveness even to those who are putting Jesus to death. It just needs to be said. It needs to be emphasized because you, you see, um, Jesus is living out what he taught. And you know what he taught so many times. It was repeated so many times in the Gospels. And Matthew, I'll put a couple up here in Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus taught the people this, and Jesus is living this out in a very real way. It's not uh, our, our, our faith our life as believers isn't a matter of words. It's a matter of words combined with actions. And you can, you can find that through uh, the Gospels, and it's the same story through the New Testament. And, and he's doing that here. And I'll give you another one in um, Mark 11, 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And again, Jesus taught these things and how important it is to, to be forgivers. To be forgivers. Jesus showed and demonstrated that love and that forgiveness at the at, at the very height of enduring the greatest, you know, pain and anguish and humiliation and every other word you could think of to describe that situation that he is, uh, that he's in. And he demonstrates that uh, to walk in the walk and talk in the talk. Okay, thank you very much for pointing that out. I don't know why I did that, but... Um... Sorry, thanks. Are we good? Is it bleary? But you know, it's walking the walk. Thank you. Walking the walk and talking uh, the talk. We, 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 we need to be that. And, and, and one of the greatest things is in forgiveness. Because for you and I, uh, you know, we can tend to be those who, uh, you know, hold on to stuff. And we need to show and demonstrate our love and our forgiveness. Again, people who don't know Jesus and don't know, you know, true Christianity um, and, and see Christianity and Christians as bigoted in some way 
again, they just don't know Jesus. They don't understand who he is and the love that he has shown them and what he has done for them. So, you know, when, when people will accuse you of all sorts of stuff because you represent him or you speak about him or they know that, you know, you have this relationship with him, you know, one of the things we need to, to, to do is to make sure they understand that's not who Jesus is. He, he is not like that. Those very people that hated him to the point where they wanted to get rid of him and kill him, he's offering them love and forgiveness. So what, has a, what, what can a person do that can get from underneath his love and forgiveness? Nothing. And the only thing that gets in between that is whether you receive it or not, whether a person wants to receive that forgiveness and that love from him. He's offering it. He's demonstrated it. He's talked about it. He lived it. He did it. And it's out there, and the question is that we need to get back on focus is not them pointing the finger and say, you know, all you Christians are a bunch of bigoted and blah, 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 and this and that and whatever. Okay, you might have a lot against me. And maybe what you say, let's say, is 100% true. (laughs) Everything you can say about me is 100% true. But what's your case against Jesus, right? And bring it back to that, because that's the real issue. He has shown love. He has acted perfectly. He has done everything right. He has never made a mistake. He's not bigoted. He doesn't, you know, he's not against these people and hates those people and loves those people and throws those people aside or whatever people think. That's not who he is. And and it's demonstrated and it's shown in his words, in his life, and in his actions. And uh, people just need to understand that. Uh, And we need to remind them and put it back on focus. It's not me you have an issue with, you know, it's Jesus. And what issue do you really have with him? And the reality is when you know, push comes to shove, they just use that as a defense mechanism because they don't want to receive that. And so here's my excuse. Uh, and most of us are very well aware of that and probably have done that a number of times in our own lives as well at some point. But just notice the love and the forgiveness Jesus has. It's something we need to embody as well. And a great example for us to follow. And so he's saying that. And of course, they're just taking his clothes. The Roman guards don't even care about any of that stuff. They just want to get their piece of, of the pie here. Well, verse 35 says, Then, and the people stood on, uh, I'm sorry, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, this one is, again, something we need to think about. If he saved himself, then he wouldn't be able to save others. So the very thing that they asked him to do would be taking away everything, all the salvation. If he were to come off, which he could, you know, then then our salvation would be lost because then he wouldn't be dying, paying for our sins. And yet the very thing they're asking him to do is the very thing that he wouldn't do because it wasn't nails and rope holding him to that wooden cross. It was love. He could come down. He could save himself. He could get off. He could have got off many, many times. 
But he knew this was the Father's will, and so in love, he wasn't going to come down. The very thing they were asking him to do is the very thing he wouldn't do, and not because he couldn't do, is because he wouldn't do it because he loves us that much. And he was on the cross, and love held him there, and nothing short of that. We just need to remember that. It was love that kept him on that cross. And they're mocking. And even if he came off that cross and he came down, listen, they would have a hundred other reasons why they wouldn't believe. You know, some people, oh, yeah, well, if God's real, then have him show up right here. Or have him strike me down or have him do this or that. And, you know, people like to say that once in a while. You've probably heard that sometimes in your life as, as I have. And, you know, if he's real, then have him do this. I said, you know, strike me down. And I said, you know, he, I said, you know, he, he just loves you too much to strike you down. <laughs> you, you know, that's not, he could do all those things, but, you know, he loves you too much. And then I would just go on to say, typically, well, even if he did that, would you really believe then? Well, yeah, of course. I, I, well, you know, you argue. You really, you know, <laughs> is, that, is that really the convincing proof that you need? And the reality of it is, again, most people just use those things of excuses. And, and these people were taunting him, but Jesus wasn't going to move because he, out of love, he was going to stay there. That's the love that he has for us. Well, verse 38 says, An inscription was also written over him in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And again, this gives you some idea of maybe what that inscription would look like. But um, again, other Gospels talk about this and go into detail about this. But the, the, just the point is, and the Jewish leaders were very upset about this, as we know other Gospel writers tell us. But I, I just, I kind of put this in the, you know, the Father's going to make this very clear category. He wanted everybody who was there, who would ever see this and go by that or who was standing there to know who they saw, and, uh, you know, and who Jesus really was. You know, he, he, he put it in Pilate's heart to write that so that everybody would know really who Jesus is. And anybody who had read that would know uh, who he is and what they were doing and who they were doing it to. And I, I, I put that in there as a father just adding one more testimony to, to all those standing there uh, who were looking down and saying this. And of course, there was a number of people there also that, that, that knew that. Uh, we know that, that you know, some of his disciples were close by, a couple of them at least. His mom, some of the women that followed him were, were part of that crowd, not the ones sneering, but they understood what that said and, and believed it. But God was making it very clear who they were doing Uh, what they were doing and who they were doing it to uh, through that sign. Now, back to our, our two criminals that were crucified next to him. And verse 39 says, Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, 
I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I, I don't know if you like to underline the scripture, but I think this, this last section is just so important for us to see and understand. Now, remember at first, way up in 32, it, you know, it, it's both of them were led away. And, uh, you, you know, we know from the other gospels that both mock him. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is working on them. And one responds and knows that there is something different about Jesus. Now, they were struggling when they were being crucified. I imagine it was tough, and every inch step they were taking, and as they were going up, I imagine, you know, they were struggling and complaining and crying like all of us probably would be doing. And there's Jesus. He's just sitting there taking it. And then he says to them, you know, all those sayings, and of course this one that we read about in uh, you know, in verse 34, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the Holy Spirit is just working on them. And one of them finally has his heart changed by the love and the difference that he is seeing in, in Jesus, you know, especially of those, those that are there cursing him and, and the Roman soldiers are fighting over his clothes and dividing up who's going to get, you know, this any of his clothing so we can sell it and make some extra money and those who are, are killing him and wanting him death and sneering at him and all that. You know, uh, and remember, um, you know, usually when we see pictures of the cross, we see like Jesus up like eight feet in the air, you know, and he's like, whether crosses are way up in the sky, but uh, I should, I'm kind of being there but you know you normally see him way up and everybody's like this right but the reality of it is they they wanted it face level and chances are most of the crucifixions were and they didn't want to lift them up that high for another reason they, there was no need to put them up that high and the other reason they they wanted it in people's face again the roman idea behind this was to deter people from committing crimes this is going to happen to you and to see somebody suffering at close to eye level, had far bigger impact than somebody way up six or eight feet up in the air above your head, right? It's just, it's happening up there. It, this is happening right here. And uh, so, again, some of them were just inches off the ground because, you know, they'd just be suffocating. They didn't need to be up very high. And so this is all kind of very much in your face for the most part, I believe, and then when they see Jesus responding in this way in love, to, especially with all this going on, how they're feeling, and he sees how he's taken it. And, and then, you know, finally, you know, one of the guys making, yeah, yeah, save us too. And the other guy said, hey, shut the yapper. You know, we, we, we're getting what we deserve, but, but Jesus, he didn't do anything. And we know, because we're seeing, we've been watching all this, we've been observing all this, and he's not deserving of this. And then he comes out in faith in verse 42, and it says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledges who he is. And Jesus' response is, you know, uh, uh, you know you're going to be with me today in paradise. Um, you know, again... You can just see how the Holy Spirit is working in this guy's life. Jesus is about ready to die on the cross, you know, again. And, 
again, I think this has got some great insight for all of us. I, that's why I, said, I think this is like underlinable section if you like to do that or highlight it. Because this passage just gives us great insight on a couple of things. First of all, you know, to the very last breaths of Jesus, the Father is encouraging Jesus and seeing that his work is affecting others, the work that he came to do, because it sees it even to the very last on this one criminal. And I, I, I imagine that was, you know, encouragement to Jesus from the Father. And that it was also a great testimony to those that are around that, hey, even this guy is ready to die and he sees Jesus' difference and knows this, you know, he is putting his faith and his trust in him. One of the other things that it does, and makes it very clear, I think, um, it shuts down um, what's said here and what's going to be said in a little bit. All those who say that you have to, to, to go to heaven to receive salvation, you have to believe in Jesus and, right? And you have to be baptized and you have to do this or you have to say that or whatever, right? But we can see very clearly um, that this man had opportunity to do nothing but express from his heart the simple words of faith in Jesus and who he was. And Jesus said, you're going to be with me in heaven. You're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to go to heaven. So that just eliminates all those other doctrines and all those other things that you hear and what people say and, you know, you have to be baptized, you have to do this. Uh, this guy didn't have time to do anything other than to simply express his faith in Jesus as Savior. And then Jesus acknowledged very clearly that that was it. So just remember that when people start talking about you got to do this and you got to go through our baptism or you have to say this or go through this or whatever it is that people think or might think, you know, you can always bring up this story with the thief on the cross saying, well, how did that guy have time to do that? How did that guy have time to, to say that or, or go there or do that action, do this religious, you know, thing or whatever? He didn't. And yet it's just simple faith in Jesus. And again, uh, it's important for us to remember that. And this is a good illustration to bring out to people. And finally, I like this, this quote about this section here. It says, there is truly, um, here is something truly remarkable, a deathbed conversion. This is the only one in the Bible. There is one deathbed conversion in the Bible so that no one would despair, but only one so that no one would presume. I like that because what he is saying here and what we're learning from this passage is that yes, people can believe on their deathbed and go to heaven and not be able to do anything else. And I've shared stories with you before, you know, being involved in that and seeing that in my own life and, and people's lives and, and, and witnessing those things, um, uh, you know, uh, just not even that long ago, a year or two ago, there was somebody who visited up in, in the hospital up in, uh, up in San Jose up there in the Silicon Valley. I can't remember the name of the hospital off the top of my head, but, you know, again, just went there and wasn't doing too good and went up there to pray for him and, you know, literally, hey, I just want to make sure that, you know, you know Jesus, and 
uh, you know, do you, you feel confident in your faith? That do you want to pray? Yeah, let's let's pray. I just I want to you know I want to you know I want to speak that out. I want to you know confess my faith. And sure enough, you know we do that, and then you know the next day you hear that he's gone. And again, I, I've witnessed that before. So you know, can there be a deathbed conversion? Absolutely, and there are, but. No one should presume, and what he is saying here is, but no one should wait until that moment because you may not have time in that moment. People are like, you know, they get the manana attitude. Well, I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay, I'll get to it later, I'll get to it later. And they act, you know, they do the same kind of thing with their faith. And yeah, I'll believe. And when I get a little older and after I've done what I want to do in my life, and you know, but people don't realize, then they get settled in their ways and there is no... <laughs> You know, then you get so stubborn in your ways, there is no, you know, or very rare to go back. And a person shouldn't put that off either. Because, again, you, you, nobody knows the day or the hour. And it might not be that, that, that opportunity or that time to do that. You know, it could be just driving home, some crazy person T-bones you, and that's the end of it, right? Um, so... It's possible and it's important for us to remember, but again, we need to warn people that you shouldn't presume that you could time this somehow in some way by putting it off. But a good thing for us to remember about, you know, when people want to add things and you got to do things and just believe in Jesus and then you got to join our church and be a part of this or, you know, this throws that all out and uh, it's a good good verse and good things to remember about the Bible here. Well, verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour and the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who had came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts in return. But all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things." And so these final three hours, there was this darkness over the land and, you know, uh, Jesus paying for the sins of the world. And then notice he willingly gives his own life. He ends it, nobody else. He says, you know, the Father's given me to, you know, lay my life and raise it back down. I am in control of this. Nobody else is. And... Through just this experience on the cross, we see even the hardest of Roman executioners was moved. These guys, you know, had been through and executed, I don't know how many people. You know, just think of the old Western movies of the guy that runs the gallows, or you go back uh, hundreds of years before that, the guy that swung the axe <laughs> where the head fell off, and they got the, you know, the bag over their head so nobody sees their face and you know you do one after another after another after another and 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 these roman executioners you know 
even as hardened as they were, were moved when they saw it all. They knew that Jesus was different. And of course, they witnessed the miraculous things the Lord did with the darkened sky, just showing that separation between uh, father and son in that triunity that had never been separated before. And again, the earth uh, moving, the earthquake. Uh, and then uh, again, eventually they'd, they'd hear that the curtain in the temple, and some say that it was up to nine inches thick, you know, it was this huge division between God and man, where the priests were and, and where God was supposed to dwell in the, in, the, in the ark above the cherubim there. And that was torn from top to bottom, God making that way now, opening it up for people to come directly to the Father through Jesus. And when they had witnessed all that he had said and all that was done, they knew. And they walked away, you know, like, man, you know, he was really righteous. And the message and the testimony is clear. It always has been. It always will be. Who Jesus is, if a person really wants to see and know and not put up all these artificial barriers of, you know, well, I've seen Christians that supposedly do this or they've done this to me and, and certainly things have been done to people uh, wrong and been treated wrong by people who profess to be Christians and certainly we've all made more mistakes and done things wrong and been a bad witness to the Lord in, in more circumstances than we care to ever admit, but, but Jesus hasn't. And the message and the testimony is clear. But the message is also final. Notice this, and again, another portion that we have to understand when he said, it is finished, right? Uh, it is finished. He'll cry that out. It's done. It's complete. Nothing else can be added to it. You know, he has finished the work. He, he is, uh, we know the gospel tell us that he has finished it. And then he cries out, it's done. And I commit my, you know, uh, spirit into your hands, Father. Nothing can be added to it. It's, it's very clear. He finished the work. It's a final message. And the message is also, and the testimony is also very clear. It always has and always will be. Always point them to Jesus because he'll never fail. And that's why, you know, do you ever, you know, you think, oh, let's, you know, oh, thank the Lord or praise the Lord or, you know, somebody, you know, uh, we talk about those things. It's not because we have to somehow build up God's ego in some sense. We have to, you know, uh, you know, somebody says that or we, we, Pray, okay, or praise the Lord, or thank the Lord, or, or give God the glory in some way, or we say those kind of sayings like that. It's because, uh, again, what we always want to do is put the attention and move the attention. If, if people want to look at us as being something special in some way, we always want to make sure that attention is, is not moved in our direction, but in His direction. Because at some point, as much as we don't want to, we'll let down people, but He never will. And we need to remember that. And so we, we, we say those things and we point to him is because we want them to look to him because he'll never let them down and he'll never fail them. We will, but uh, he won't. 
And so that's why you point to him. I still got this sticker on my toolbox that I got in 1980. It says, Jesus never fails. And I have it out in my... <laughs> I like that one because, you know, that's something to hold on to. He never does fail. And so he gives up. And now the final part of this chapter, verse 50. Behold, now behold, there was a man named Joseph council member, and a good and just man. Now we know from the Gospel of John, Nicodemus was also there too at some point. And when he had, cons he had not consented to their decision and deed, and he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been lain before. That day was a day of preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the woman who had come with him from the galley followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So at the very end, um, not all those who were on the council were evil. We know of at least two, Joseph here, and then, of course, Nicodemus, we know from the Gospel of John, believed in Jesus, and loving hands touched his body. You know, after the crucifixion, only loving hands touched his body. Now, they, 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 they did take him down, and they laid him in this tomb, and they were a little bit in a hurry because they... Uh, the Sabbath, you know, was, was coming to the afternoon, coming into the evening, and they weren't to do any work, and so they, they wanted to put him in the tomb um, that was close by there. And again, um, uh, Jesus was put in this tomb, hewn out of stone, which would be very expensive. Somebody had to think of a, you know, a, a solid wall, and there they have kind of a limestone, and you had to like literally tunnel into it by hand with picks and And, and hammers and, you know, make this cave inside of this rock. And we'll talk about that next time. And, and probably a very expensive one um, that was probably made for Joseph. And yet, you know, he lays Jesus in there. But, of course, we know Jesus is only going to borrow it for a couple of days, right? <laughs> and uh, that's about it. And we'll get, we'll get to his resurrection next week. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these words, Lord, and all that you show us through the love and forgiveness you've shown through this whole process, Lord, of we looking at your trials and, and uh, uh, beatings and, and the final you know, order for the execution and all that you did. And even to the very last, uh, a name um, man is, we'll meet one day be, because of it, Father. And We thank you for your love, and Lord, help us to demonstrate that forgiveness and love in our lives as well, and to walk as how you'd want us to walk, Lord, that we would be a great and wonderful testimony to this world that's just lost and dying, and, and, uh, and they have just the wrong idea about you, and, and it gets confused, and of course, we know the enemy wants to confuse all that and, and highlight all the, the worst aspects of what people have done and, and still do, Lord, supposedly in your name. But Father, help us to demonstrate and to show them and point them to who you really are and what you've really done and the love that you showed through Jesus and, and the sacrifice that he made, Lord, 
uh, out of love uh, for us, that we might be with you. And Lord, we can always and always should point them to that and to your grace and to your mercy that you've demonstrated through Jesus. Help us to always do that because you'll never let them down. And we thank you for that, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 May the Lord bless you guys. Have a great afternoon.